0: Romans chapter 9, verse 14. We've got some young ones opening their Bible. We're going to wait till they get there, right? All right. Romans 9, chapter 9, verse 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, all of it. God, every word in the Bible is God-breathed, anointed by your spirit, Lord. I thank you for that, God. And some things are really uncomfortable. Lord, this is one of those. And I pray that you would give us the grace to embrace the truth in your word, Lord. God, what is before us. Lord, uh, I pray that this is delivered in love and in kindness, but Lord, in, in the truth of your word. And I ask that as this message goes forth, that it would bear fruit for your glory, God, and it would build hope in your people and confidence in your people and gratitude in your people, Lord. And I pray that you would use me in this time as that, Sail in the wind to be moved by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're a parent, you have probably heard this more than once. That's not fair. Right? That's not fair. Whatever it is, that's not fair. Now, The response from us is interesting, but I think fathers have this response more than the mothers. Well, life's not fair. (laughs) Real compassionate on our part. Our poor kids are coming down, melting down, and we just say, well, life's not fair, deal with it. Well, you know what? We all want God to be fair, or so we think. And that's the challenge of Romans chapter 9. Um, this particular chapter is difficult to preach through. A lot of pastors just skip over it, or they try to do one message on Romans chapter 9 because it's, it's hard to address this because it deals with divine election, predestination. And what we sometimes do, so what some pastors will do is they'll try to make it sound like it's about the nations, Israel and the rest. So God has chosen Israel and none the rest. So that means he condemns all the rest of the nations, um, So this is a really difficult uh, area of Scripture to preach through. And the hard part is is that um, we need to look at God's Word. And there's things in God's Word that can be very uncomfortable at times because we want to be the one in control of things. And it goes against our flesh that God would be. And so uh, this is one of those uh, series of messages. It actually started last week. It'll be this week and two following weeks. Um, But it's hard stuff. And I want to say out of the get-go that... um, This is an important doctrine that we obviously believe in, uh, but if there are brothers and sisters who who do not agree with this, that doesn't mean they're not saved, okay? But I would challenge all that we look at God's Word, and even though we may have believed something for 20 years, this this was the chapter that changed me and my focus because I was on the hardcore Armenian free will side years and years and years, but I kept running across words in the Word of God that I knew what they meant, but I couldn't get around. Words like predestination, election, called. And when I hit Romans chapter 9, that I I had to decide, am I going to believe what this says, even though it's uncomfortable, or not? And so I would challenge all of us to go to Romans chapter 9 and read through it. It's not hard to understand. And we're going to walk through some of that today. You know, What Paul is doing here is he's laid out throughout the whole book of Romans, you know, we're all sinners separated from God, and he's just building on that. And then he comes to Romans chapter 9, and he says, okay, God is the one who elects people. And then immediately he jumps into, well, here's some of the questions people are going to have. And it's just like he was standing up here wanting to answer those questions for us, because they're still relevant today, still relevant today. And what's happening is, is the people, or the question that Paul is addressing here is that, well, if if election is true, if predestination is true, then God's unfair. He's unfair to choose some and not to choose the others. And we have to understand that if we come to that place, we're calling God unjust? If if that's what God's word says, which I believe it does, then we're saying that God is unjust. God can't be unjust. He's righteous in all his ways. He's holy in all his ways. So we come into this situation where we realize this, Then this is the main point today, is that unconditional election upholds God's justice and magnifies his mercy and his love. We like to focus on justice here, but what we see here is God doing something a little different. Because divine election isn't about God being fair or God being just. But it's about God being merciful. Big difference. Take a look at God's word. Romans chapter 9, 14 through 16. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Referring to the first uh, 13 verses. By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I, will, I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And then it goes Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned. We're separated from God because of that. Then Deuteronomy 32.4, the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. And then Job 34, 10. Therefore hear me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God that he should, be, he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. What we see is this, is that according to God's word in Romans, up till this point, is that no one gets injustice from God because all are guilty sinners deserving God's judgment all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So God is never unjust because everybody deserves punishment for our sin. And God has determined that that in his word is separation from him for eternity in hell. That is uncomfortable. We don't like to, to read God's word like that and say, oh no, we can't preach that. I think that's part of the problem that we have today, that we're, we're afraid to preach what God's word says, even though It's uncomfortable. And what we see is this, is that election is not unjust. Because if salvation was a matter of fairness or justice, no one would be saved. Because we're all guilty, deserving punishment. That's the truth. You can't get around that. That's the foundation. We are all sinners separated from God. And if God gave us justice, we'd all be sent to hell for eternity. But there's something interesting in this statement that's right before our eyes that we do not see. Paul is asking a question about justice. He's saying, if God is the one who sovereignly elects, then there's injustice. There has to be injustice. And so he asks that question, but notice how he answers it. He doesn't answer it about mercy or about justice. Look at that. For what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. So you think he started addressing justice. He doesn't do that. He says, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So he's answering the question, if election is true, then God is unjust. And Paul's answer is, it's about mercy. It's not about justice. It's about mercy. If God were going to focus on justice, you'd all be separated from God. But there's this thing called mercy that God has. And that's the answer. That's the key to understanding this. The issue is not just justice, but it is on God's sovereign choice to have mercy on whoever he wills. And that bothers us. That bothers us. Because... We want God to be fair. Everybody should receive his mercy, but everybody doesn't receive his mercy. We should receive his punishment, his judgment, but God chooses to give some mercy, and he owes no one mercy, no one. God doesn't have to give mercy to anyone. So there's no injustice when mercy is not shown to the guilty. God can choose who he wants to give his mercy to. We don't like that. We want to be in control, not God, but we keep running across these verses. It's, it, it, when, I, when I think of mercy, I think of this. Say there's a multimillionaire that walks in this door, and he decides to give 10 of you $10,000. Doesn't he have a right to do that? But what the rest of us are saying, well, that's not fair. What about me? It's his money. He can do with what he wants with it. He doesn't have to give everybody $10,000, and he's not unfair if he doesn't do that, he's choosing. And he's going to say, I'm going to give this person, this person, and this person. And that's my choice. And you'd say, well, I guess, hey, it's his money, right? He can do with it as he wants. Wouldn't God's mercy be the same thing? If he were to give us justice? Whoa, everybody God's justice, but instead he gives some mercy by his will. You see, God shows mercy and compassion according to his will, not by obligation and not by merit. That's exactly what it says here in verse 16. So then, it depends not on human will. In other words, who God gives mercy to doesn't depend on human will, what we're doing, or exertion, but on God who has mercy. It depends on God. It depends on God. We say, well, God elects those he foresees will receive the gift of salvation. So then he elects them because of, on the basis of that. Well, if election was caused because God foresaw someone, if that were the case, none would accuse God of being unfair, would we? He we said, well, God just looked over history and he saw who was going to receive the gift of salvation, who weren't, and so then he made his decision in time before the earth was ever created, those would be the elect, right? So no one would complain about that. We'd say, oh, yeah, that's fine. Why? Because we're ultimately in control. What we see is that if that were the case, then God is not sovereign. Men are. We determine whether we're saved or not. It's up to us. And as I said last week, if God is sovereign at all, if God is sovereign at all, meaning he's in control of all things, if God is sovereign at all, he must be sovereign over all things because he can't accomplish his will otherwise. He's got to be sovereign over all things. That includes salvation. That includes salvation. As a matter of fact, if, if God were, it would be unjust for God to elect people on the basis of their faith that they work up on their own because we know faith is a gift from God or by their works, that would be unjust. And you say, time out. How could that be unjust if God based who he would elect on as he looked and he foresaw who would receive the gift of salvation? Because the playing field isn't even. That's why if you came from a home where your parents loved Jesus You have an advantage over people who do not have that. That would be unfair. You say, well, hey, a mom and dad believer. They came from a family, a godly line. Of course they're going to believe. And then you have someone who's just a pagan and living terrible. Their whole family is like that. How, you know, they have a disadvantage here. They're not even going to hear the gospel. I have to be honest. In my family background, I was the only believer. My dad had nine brothers and sisters. They all had kids I could not name one single believer in my mom and, on my dad's side. Not one single believer on my mom's side. And out of the garbage heap, God picked me. I don't get that. But if it were about injustice, it would be, you know, what if God just looked forward? Some people would have more advantage than the others because of the background that they're in. It would be easier for them to believe because they would have more input. But it's a gift from God, it's what it is. And it's interesting because this response to, is God unjust, because he does that, the first response to that question is, it's not about justice, it's about mercy. That's what God's word says. And then he follows that up. He says, okay, now I want you to focus on mercy, and I want you to focus on something else here. It's also about God's purpose. God's purposes. What's that all about? God has a reason for what he does. God has a reason for what he does. And God and his reasons are never unjust, never unjust. If we believe the word of God. Take a look at God's word. Again, we're going to go continue on with 17 and 18. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose... I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. Boy, doesn't that make us uncomfortable? I can't get around the word of God. Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me. This is Joseph speaking. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Acts chapter 4, 27 through 28, talking about the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross. For truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. It was all set up to do what? To do whatever your hand, God, and your plan had predestined to take place. And then we go to Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. Here we go back. So predestined for a purpose. that wasn't random. God has a reason behind it. Who works all things according to the counsel of whose will? His will. He's the one in charge. God is, is doing something. He's got reasons for what he is doing. God uses The evil actions of people and even of Satan to accomplish his sovereign purposes for his glory. There's some of the evidence. There's some of the evidence. He's got purposes. Because of what God did to Pharaoh in Pharaoh and in Egypt, God's name was made much of. God had a purpose. He says it right there: that my my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Uh, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed. That's why it happened. God had a purpose behind what happened with Pharaoh and with Egypt and the entire nation of Egypt. You have to understand what happened. This is the world power at that time. They ruled the world, the known world at that time. They were the, the top dogs. They were running the show. And for 400 years, they were developing to become that world power. When you look in history, after this had occurred, Egypt just went downhill. You say, well, what, what, what occurred there? God was doing something. God was displaying his power. God was the one who was making his name great. And you can bet when they left, they were saying, oh, that's the God of Israel. You don't want to mess with that God. He, did you hear what happened with the Egyptians? Their God is the only God. God was doing something. And even in this world today, that's one of the reasons why I don't sweat things out. God is sovereign. He's, he's, he's got a plan. That's uncomfortable. Hey, I, you know what? If I have a choice, if I had a choice way back in history to be in the 400 years before God released Israel from Egypt, I'm picking after he did, right? I don't want to be in that time. I don't want to be 100 years into it, and you're crying out saying, God, what's going on? And you don't hear anything. But God was at work. He was doing something. But it was a hard time for his people. Maybe now we're entering hard times. I don't know. But I'm not going to worry. Because I know God is sovereign. God's got a purpose in everything. And he is not reacting to what's happening. He's not going, wow, I did not expect that. I've got to set this. I've got to change this around and move this. Because this is where I wanted to end. It's not going to happen unless I do this, this, and He shifts around. No, God's sovereign. He used uh, Pilate and Herod and everybody else to crucify Jesus. He was sovereign over Egypt, the world power. He fed the world because of the wisdom that he gave Joseph. God was moving. God is moving now. I am not going to walk in fear. I'm going to walk in faith and hope in my great God. Amen. God has a reason for what he does. So the next question would be this about Pharaoh. So are you saying that God caused Pharaoh to sin? By the way, I'm going to be talking about this next week in more depth. Sovereignty and sin is what I'm entitling it. But what about that? Did God cause Pharaoh to sin? Or did he coerce Pharaoh to sin? Well, The answer is this. God does not cause anyone to sin. Take a look at God's word. James 1, 13-15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But look at this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. How? By his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's the pattern. Look at John, 1 John 1, 1.5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There is no evil in God. There's no sin in God. He doesn't coerce people to sin. So how does it work? What God does, it appears, is that he removes his restraining influence on people and gives them up to their already evil desires. You want to know what we have free will in? It's to sin, because we're sinners, and we like sin. And if you think that you would be any different than Adam, way back when, then you're walking in pride, because you would have sinned too. And we are sinners by nature. And when we exercise our free will, it's to sin, because we enjoy sin. But what happens is that God removes his restraining influence. And what happens is this. This evil and sin come by God permitting man's natural tendencies to assert themselves. He lets us be who we are, sinners. And he pulls back and he says, fine, you want your, you want your way? Pulls back and we delight in sin. We, you know, I know how that goes against our, our pride and our self-righteousness. Not me, I wouldn't. Oh, yes, you would. We sing, you know, but by the grace of God go I do you really mean that when you sing that? Because I can't even imagine how evil anybody could be, including myself, if God pulled back and let me be fully what I would be naturally, which is a sinner. And so what happens is is that we see that God pulls back and man's natural tendencies assert themselves and what happens, and we willingly choose sin. So God doesn't have to choose it for us. God doesn't have to coerce us. All he has to do is say, okay, back off. And you say, well, what does that look like? I found this analogy by Jonathan Edwards that I think is really beautiful, and it, and it, it, it really helps me kind of get my head around this difficult um, truth. Is this, he says, the sun brings warmth and light by its very nature. Okay, I'll get that. But it doesn't cause the cold and the dark by dropping below the horizon. Right? Sun's still the sun, bringing light and bringing warmth. And when it goes behind the horizon and cold and dark comes, that's not the sun doing that. But it's going to naturally happen. That's the picture that we see. I've, I've used in the past a dog that bites. It's in their nature. That dog will bite, but it's on a leash. If I let the leash go, the dog bites. That's his nature. So did I bite the person? Am I responsible? Because I didn't bite him. It's very interesting when we look at these truths because it's hard for us to get our heads around them. And here's the key. This just causes us to worship God because God is so sovereign, so great, so awesome that he can allow men to make willing choices and still be in complete control. You say, how does that work? I have no idea, but I, I can't get my head around God completely either. But somehow God is so sovereign that we, we have free will choices and God has, has worked through them, has ordained them, and we stand in awe of God. You say, that's not possible. I get it. That's why he's God and I'm not. And so I look at that and I go, okay, God, I can embrace that. I can trust that you're that sovereign. I can trust that you're that big of a God for the 21st century. I can trust that. And that's why I say this doctrine of election, predestination, brings great peace to us. It comforts us. It quiets our spirit. Because it means this that no evil person, no evil plan against you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will ever succeed. It cannot destroy God's purposes, it is not possible. Now you say, well, are you saying everything good is going to happen in my life? No, absolutely not. But God's got a bigger picture for your life than just comfort. He's got this, this idea of making you more like Jesus. And unfortunately, sometimes we need sandpaper to rub off the sharp edges, right? So there's a comfort in this saying. You know what? I know that no matter what is happening in my life, no matter what chaos is breaking through, no matter what is occurring, God is sovereign. The enemy can't thwart God's plans for my life. I don't have to worry. I can't lose my salvation because it's not up to me. It's a work of God. That's why it says in Scripture, He is the author and the finisher of our what? Faith. God's the one doing the work. God is the one who's doing these miraculous things in our life. When we open up the word of God, Jesus says that no one comes to me except the Father draw him. That's what it says. So could we come to God unless God drew us? No, according to Scripture, no, that's not possible. That's not possible. So it's a work of God. Faith is a gift of God. And so we see this picture and we we can rest in who God is. We can delight in who our God is. We don't have to walk in fear. We don't have to worry about our salvation somehow slipping away because we messed up somewhere. We don't have to worry about those things. We walk in holiness because it Delights our God. We don't do it in order to earn points with God. But we want to please God, just like in a marriage. You want to do those things that please your spouse. You just do them, not because you have to, but you want to please them. And so we see this picture of what God is doing through election. If you're a believer today, delight in that. Delight in what God has done. But we also see here a warning. That if we harden our heart continually, our heart will harden, I'm sorry, if we continually ignore God's voice. The Spirit of God is working in our lives. And if He's calling you to repentance, first of all, as a believer, and there's some sin in your life, and you keep ignoring God, then what happens is it's just like anything else. It's like a callus, is what it is. A hardening of a heart is like a callus. And what happens, how do you get a callus? Keep, it keeps happening over and over, the same action, until you keep lifting or shoveling or whatever it is, and you get calluses on your hands. Okay, that's a hardening of your skin because of a repeated activity. And that's what happens to our hearts when God says, you know, repent of this. This is a sin, repent of it. And then we continue to push it off, push it off, push it off. And our hearts get hard. And before you know it, as God's warning us, we don't even feel it. We don't feel it anymore. We don't feel that repentance, that, that you know, that tang in your heart when you, you know you did something wrong and you go, ooh, that was wrong. But you keep doing it. And you do it again, you do it again. And before you know it, you do it and there's no eh. So for us as believers, to walk in holiness. For the lost, it's the same thing. The gospel keeps coming to you over and over again, and you keep denying it. You say, ah, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. Ah, I don't know, I have this question, I have that question. And questions are good. Paul's answering questions. Paul has over 75 questions that he asked in the book of Romans alone. So what happens is that these things that keep coming, you keep hearing the gospel, and as you... Continue to resist it. Your heart's getting harder and harder. That's just the way it is. That's what the word of God says. So be careful that you don't harden your heart today as you hear the gospel of the grace of God towards you, that he loves you, that Christ died for your sins, you were separated from God for all eternity. And God, before the very time began, before time began, he called you. Set you apart. He said, I'm going to have my mercy on him. So here's what our natural response is, isn't it? Well, if God chose, then I don't have to choose. Right? If God chose, then I don't have to choose. Then you would be inconsistent with Scripture. Take a look at what God's Word says on this. John chapter 1, 12-13. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, all who believed, all who had made that decision to believe, to receive the gift of salvation, who were born, look at this, not of blood, okay, not nationality, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but God. That's how they were born again, by God. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 8-9, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then 2 Timothy 1 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Look at that. There it is again. Purpose, grace. Purpose, grace. That's what's in Romans 9, 13 through, or 14 through 18. Purpose and grace. Grace and mercy go hand in hand. Purpose and grace. Which he gave us in Christ. He gave us in Christ when? Before the ages began. Before creation. Before creation this happened. This is an amazing thing. So you say, well, okay. As I said, if God chooses, should we have to choose? Yes. Because election, God choosing someone, is unconditional. That's by God's mercy. But he has chosen to use the vehicle where salvation is expressed in someone's life is by receiving that gift of salvation, by faith. That's where the justification happens. That's the vehicle God uses. So yes, you do have to make a choice. You do have to make a choice. And as I said last week, that gives us freedom as In evangelism, because we can freely share and instead of feeling like, oh no, what if I shared the gospel wrong? Then we feel like their blood is on our hands. No, God's calling someone or he's not. And if he, I don't know who he's calling or who he's not, so I'm gonna keep sharing the gospel. But I can't fail. I can't fail. Because I can't screw it up for someone else. They're not gonna spend eternity in hell because I didn't share the gospel with them or because I shared it Not as good as I could have. And there's a freedom in that. So we rest in the fact that God calls us, or he doesn't, but yet he uses the vehicle of the gospel and a decision in order to justify us. And that's all part of his plan. That's how God works. So what we see is this, is that unconditional election upholds God's justice. He's just. And it magnifies his mercy and his love. All justly deserve God's judgment because we're all guilty sinners. Every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room, we deserve God's judgment. You say, well, not you, preacher. I mean, you're a preacher. How can you deserve God's judgment? Because I'm a sinner, and I broke God's laws, and I deserve God's punishment. If God were just, every one of us would spend eternity in hell forever. That's just God's justice. But in his grace, in his mercy, he elects to save some and in his righteousness he punishes the rest you see the very definition of grace is that it's something undeserved we don't deserve it and god chooses to express that to some i'd rather have it in god's hands than my hands i'm just telling you so god is not unjust when he to graciously grant mercy to some in order to display his glory in his grace and he's not unjust to pass over others to display his glory in his his righteousness and judgment. That's all a part of who God is. God is is loving. God is also just. God is holy. So we got to take all of who God is and understand his word. And when we see the whole picture of who God is and his glory and his greatness, there's things that we delight in and there's things that we struggle with because he has to be who he is. Which is perfect and holy and just. That's who our God is. So we can't rightly claim that God is unjust because he only gives undeserved mercy to some. We can't do that. But we can say this that the Lord is incredibly generous because he mercifully elects some. He doesn't need to do that, but he does. And if you're in this room today and by God's grace you have received the gift of salvation, delight in that. Delight in that. From the before the foundations of the world. Your name was written in the book of life before the foundations of the world. We've got to get our heads around that. Before the foundations of the world, God had your name written in the book of life. And then we look and we say, you know what, God, this is a miracle because I deserve judgment. We say that I think it's easy for us as, I'm going to say this, as Reformed people, to embrace that. Well, you know, God is just. I'm glad he doesn't give me what I deserve. Well, do you really, really think about that? Or is that just kind of one of these cliches we like to throw around? Think about that. Man, God, this is true. And yet, in your incredible mercy, you called me to yourself. You granted me. You drew me to yourself, Lord. You opened up the scriptures that before I was blind and now I can see. I was in darkness and now I'm in light and I had no hope and now I have eternal hope. And it's because of you, God. Not because I was so smart I figured it out. We'll have questions. I have questions. But I default to God being sovereign. And I delight in him to stand in awe of this great gift of salvation, God's mercy being poured out on me. It causes me to be humble, number one. It has to, because it's not about me and the great things I've done or the great things I've figured out. It's about God and his grace and his mercy opening up my eyes and drawing me to himself, and all I can do is be humble, and all I can do is fall down and worship him. I, I, I worship him because of what he has done. Stand in awe of God. This gift of salvation. Why me? Why me? It's not about why not them. The real question is this. Why me? Why me, God? I don't get that. But it goes back to God's mercy. God's purposes. And he will exalt his name by extending his mercy to some and his judgment to others. And even though that makes us uncomfortable, it's a truth in God's word. And so we embrace that, even the uncomfortable things. And by God's grace and God's mercy, we continue to desire to honor him with all our lives. And I, and I want to finish by saying this again. I will stand on this belief because it is so clear to me in Scripture. I will stand on it but if somebody does not embrace this, I do not believe they're lost. Okay? We need to love each other. We need to love each other regardless of where we stand on this particular issue. Yes, you talk to me, I'm going to tell you this is what Scripture says. And somebody might argue the other way and I'm going to say, well, you show me where it is in Scripture. But I'm going to love them. Okay? And I hope they love me because the body of Christ has enough division in the world today, right? So brothers and sisters, God is not unjust. God is not unfair when he elects some and doesn't elect others. He has mercy on some and he's going to judge others, but he has a purpose in it all and it's for his glory. It's for his glory. His glory in all the world that his name would be much of and the world would stand back and stand in awe of God's power. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are in a place, Lord, where your word challenges us. And throughout your word, you talk about us believing by faith. God, even the uncomfortable things, the hard things. I pray that today, God, your word went forth in love and in kindness, but in truth. And God, that it would bear fruit that you choose it to bear. Lord, I thank you that the weight isn't on me. You're going to do a work. And I praise you, God, that in the midst of this crazy, crazy world, we have a sovereign God. And so we don't have to walk in fear. Lord, thank you for being all that you are. The comfortable things and the uncomfortable things. But God, you are perfect and you are always good and you are always just. And so we praise you and we thank you. And we ask now, God, that you would cause worship to break forth in our hearts to the great and mighty god whose name above whose name is above all names and all god's people said amen